If you work for the Catholic Church and want to avoid burnout, overcome team dysfunctions, and put more souls in the pews, we're here to help. I'm Tai Hua, here with my co-host, John Kahns, and we're providing leadership development for Catholic ministry professionals. Every week, you can expect engaging discussions, expert interviews, and actionable advice to help you move Jesus' mission forward in your parish. Now, today, we're having a conversation with a real, live Catholic ministry professional, Deacon Thane Barnier. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks, guys. Happy it's so to be good here. to have you on here. You're you're our first deacon on the show, so this is a kind of a red. It's a red letter wow. day. Yeah, I feel like we're moving up in the world. <laughs> no, no pressure, not at right? all, because we are going to measure the diaconate off of your answers today. <laughs> yeah, great. No souls hanging the balance. <laughs> they always do, right? Well, I, and you should be honored because uh, I I believe you you go to Ty's Parish or you you operate at Ty's Parish. And so he one of the first <laughs> things that he says, we got to get Deacon on here. Is that right? You guys know each other? Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, good. Yep. Yes, very, very well. Yeah. Well, you must have yeah. made your mark on him. So I can't wait to pick your brain today and really get some some real ministry answers to real ministry questions. <laughs> but before... But before we do, yeah, let's let, right. let me and Ty get out of the way. You tell the people a little bit about yourself, uh, about your ministry, what it looks like. It, it just kind of give us the, the deacon story. Well, I was born in Montana, so I'm a transplant to South Dakota. Uh, I've lived here longer than I lived in Montana. But um, yeah, I grew up uh, in the mountains of Montana, um, in Missoula. Uh, went to school there at University of Montana. And that's where I met my wife, Joanne. Uh, we were both uh, theater majors. So believe it or not, my background is actually I went to school for scenery and lighting design. Uh, so I was a professional scenery and lighting designer for a while and got into the arts world and just realized this is not the lifestyle that I want to live. I I can't be big enough jerk to survive <laughs> in this industry. So uh, so I, I stepped back. I walked away completely. Um, so I'm kind of an all in or all out kind of guy. So, um, so over the course of between, you know, running pizza franchises and things like that, uh, eventually I wound up out here working for gateway computers. Uh, that was back in, I think 98, we moved out here. Um, and, uh, Joe and I, you know, we met in college, we've been married 29 years, uh, moved out here and, uh, kind of got into that working for Gateway really opened up a new world for me of technology. I'd always kind of dabbled in computers, but I started to get more into kind of, you know, the web was new and I needed a creative outlet. So I got into web design and that led to a career in web development, uh, web design and IT. And I, I worked for a couple of companies and then moved into the Chamber of Commerce. I was there for 20 years as the web development and IT director. Um, and uh, specialized in computer security. Believe it or not, this is actually a real thing. I'm a certified ethical hacker. <laughs> so I learned how to be a hacker to fight hackers. Uh, and uh, and then right after COVID, you know, there was so much downsizing going on and things like that. And uh, we knew that things were going to change. And uh, Father Odell, our pastor, came to me and said, you know, I'm so busy with the ministries that 
the bishop has me doing outside. Um, I want you to come on full time and kind of run the day-to-day stuff in the parish and create this new online ministry. Um, I'm getting a little ahead of myself. I should back up. Before I talk about diaconate, I should say, I swore I'd never be Catholic. <laughs> How'd that work? So, <laughs> I agree. You want to hear God laugh, tell him your plans, right? <clears throat> so I grew up Baptist in a, a very faith-filled family, you know. I'd like to say my father taught me how to be a good man, and my mother taught me how to be a good disciple of Christ. Um, some of my earliest memories are sitting in the hallway of our house, listening to Bible stories on record over and over and over and over again. Um, and she instilled in me a love for Jesus Christ, but also a love for people and a, a real desire to to treat people as Christ would want us to treat them. And when I, when I met Joanne, um, you know, she was kind of drifted away from her faith. You know, she's from that, we're, we're all from that generation where the catechism wasn't all that great. The catechesis was lacking. And so my mother, I always like to say her faith is like gravity. It just sucks you in. So she started going to the Baptist church with us. We were married in my Baptist church. When we moved out here, um, we didn't find a church that that really worked for us. You know, it's nothing was the same as that little family, eighty family Baptist church I grew up in. So eventually, she started rediscovering her Catholic faith, and I should say, Joanne never asked me to convert ever, not once. Um. And when other people stopped pushing me to convert, because like I said, I swore I would never be Catholic, mainly because the more people pushed me, the more I pushed back, right? So she was reading a book called Catholic and Christian. And the interesting reason she was reading that book is uh, she toured with various bands as a roadie for 20 years, 25 years. And she had come back off a tour with Amy Grant and Michael W. Smith. And they had been asking her questions about her faith because she was the only Catholic on the tour. And she found she couldn't answer a lot of those questions. So she picked up this book so that she could learn how to answer those questions. And along the way, I picked it up one day and opened right to the chapter on confession and read it and said, I really don't have any problem with that. So I sat down and read that book cover to cover. And then didn't really do anything about it <clears throat> because the Holy Spirit had a plan. Um, about a year later, my brother moved out, moved in with us. He'd gone through a bad breakup and was just in a bad spot. And along the way, going to church with Joanne, something sparked his interest in the Catholic Church. And he decided this is what he needed. So he decided to go through RCA. And I said, well, you know, I've been thinking about this for a long time. And he and I literally had done everything in our lives together. So we wound up going through RCIA together, um, all in God's time, right? And that was in 2002. And, uh, and then I said, you know, I, this is great, but, you know, I can't ever be one of those guys that goes to church, you know, three, two, three days a week. You know, I can go on Sundays and that's it. You want to hear God laugh, tell him your plans. I get involved with the Knights of Columbus first, and that 
awakened in me this desire to serve God's people. Um, and not just, I'd always been willing to serve whenever I was needed, but it gave me the desire to go out and find those opportunities to serve. And ultimately that, that led me to the diaconate. I mean, I, I remember being in a spot though, where I was just floundering. I, I, I wanted more. I had a desire for more. And, and, uh, the deacon at my church had given a homily about, you know, we spend a lot of time talking to God, but how much time do we spend listening to God? And that really struck me because the answer was zero. So I, I said, you know, I, I prayed. I said, God, I want to have a better prayer life. I want to grow closer to you. Tell me how to do that. And that night I had a dream that I was a deacon giving a homily about how to build a prayer life. So I woke up and I said, wow, well, I guess I'll do that. Practice what I preach, right? So the, the, the deacon thing never connected with me at this, at this point. So I just started building this prayer life and being more regimented and removing those things that distracted me from the Lord. And about six weeks later, I had another dream that I was a deacon preparing the altar for mass. And I set everything up filled the chalice, and I turned and handed the host to this tall, young, blonde priest. And I just went, that's my nephew, Tommy, who's nine years old and says he's going to be a priest. So I woke up and I said, maybe I better look into this diaconate thing. I don't know anything about, other than the fact we got a cool deacon at my church. I don't really know anything about that. So I picked up a book called 101 Questions and Answers about Deacons. And the more I read, the more I realized that the diaconate was everything that I had been raised to be from a little child. Everything my mother raised me to be. That's the service, the desire to, to spread God's love to those around me. That's what I was called to be. So I prayed about it. And Joanne had been working with her parents in Rapid City doing taxes for tax season came home and I said, uh, she was in the house about 15 minutes. And I said, so I think I want to be a deacon. And she said, yeah, right. And walked in and started unpacking. <laughs> it came out a little bit later and said, are you serious? Where did this come from? Um, so we started talking about it because it's nothing we'd ever talked about, nothing I'd ever thought about. Uh, but God was calling me. And you know, most guys, they think about this for years and years and years. And with me, it was, I had a dream. And eight months later, I was sitting in a room with eight other guys going, what am I doing here? Uh, and, you know, I'll, it, there's still those moments where I have those times. Where I'm like, what am I doing here? Because um, who am I? I mean, I'm, I'm just a guy, you know. Uh, I'm totally inadequate for the honor that God has called me to, um, you know, and all I have is for people is the love that God's put into my heart for them. And I'm, I'm finding that's enough, but, um, but it's a humbling experience when you're sitting there in front of God's people, giving a homily and going, I hope some of this makes sense to somebody because I, you know, half the time, I don't know what I'm saying. The Holy Spirit's doing the talking. I got no clue what's coming out of my mouth. So um, I, I will say, Deacon Thane, that I've 
sat through and had the the honor of listening to your homilies, and I've never once fallen asleep. That's great. Yep. So good job. <laughs> yep. Thank you. Oh, what a gift. So, well, that's... <laughs> so, so jumping back to COVID. So after, during COVID, the lockdowns, we knew we had to do something for our, for our people. And um, I was always looking for ways to put my gifts to work for the church. And suddenly we were like, what are we going to do? And we said, you know, we got to stream mass and we got to stream something else. We got to do something online to keep people connected to their parish. So we started trying to find camera equipment and uh, I had no clue what I was doing with this. this was all new. You know, we're all trying to figure this stuff out. But we streamed that first mass the day we got locked down. We streamed mass on a cell phone and a prayer. <laughs> we built a chapel in a little classroom and hooked up a, a, a cell phone till our camera showed up. And we did. We streamed mass every single day uh, for I don't know how many months. Um, and then we also streamed some of the devotional after that. So we built this vibrant online ministry. Um, so. When Father Adele asked me to come on, it was kind of my dream job for retirement. I wanted to be director of online ministry somewhere. And suddenly here it was, this is in my lap. I'm like, I'm 50 years old. This is a long way from where I plan to retire. And, and you know, if you're going to work for the church, coming from, you know, a secular corporate world, you're taking a pay cut. And that's the only part of the job that didn't bother me i mean i knew god would take care of that part that would be fine but it was just it was a leap of faith to go into ministry full-time um and it's been the best decision i i ever made i mean there's times where it's tough i mean it's it's not always a bed of roses uh but it's been so rewarding and so fulfilling uh, to be able to serve god's people what a gift there's so much in there (laughs) having dreams like saint joseph i mean truly being called in such a powerful way and god God bless it that you you woke up and you paid attention to it, you know, much much like St. Joseph would have. I, I think that's great. And, you know, your theater background and your um, your IT background, all of that stuff kind of leading you up and, and getting you to where you can really be the gift you are in the church today. So uh, thank you so much for sharing, you know, your story and your call into ministry and a little bit of what your ministry looks like today. Uh, just what a gift. Thank you for that. Uh, one of one of our big um, impetuses for for this ministry that we do for Catholic ministry professionals is really to help people in those areas of frustration. And of course, COVID, you, you know, you spoke about that a little bit. That was a big area of frustration for everybody where everybody starts going, well, what do we do now? <laughs> but yeah. one of those areas we do hope to speak into is those areas of frustration. How do we, you know, work past those frustrations we experience? How do we work past the... Um, some of the oh, inadequacies in our own selves, in our own work, in our coworkers, whatever it might be. Uh, what, have, what have been some of those frustrations in, in your time and, you know, getting to see with the eyes of the diaconate being so embedded in the parish, the, the frustrations that Catholic ministry professionals experience in their work? What have been some of those, those frustrations and then maybe solutions that you found or ways to walk with them in that? Yeah, you know... From a professional standpoint, I think one of the biggest frustrations is after COVID, we as a society lost our desire 
to be involved and to commit. Um, you know, I, I, I say we've lost the culture of commitment. Trying to get people to volunteer for things is very difficult. And at first I thought it was just because we were all so busy, but it's actually the, it, it's, that's not it at all. Cause the people that used to volunteer all the time, um, they just, they, they don't want to get out. They don't want to do that kind of thing anymore. COVID took away that desire to be actively involved in a community. Um, and it's, it's one of the things that, you know, our, our former pastor, Father Kevin O'Dell, before he became a priest, he had, he is a PhD in clinical psychology. So he was an active uh, counselor and psychologist. And when COVID first hit, he told me everything that was going to happen because of these lockdowns, uh, all the way that we were going to shut ourselves off, the way that people were not going to be able to let go of the fear, the way it was going to disconnect people, not only from society, but from reality. And every single thing he said was going to happen has played out uh, with scary accuracy. And it's getting better. Um, but what I, what I really discovered at our parish was we got so complacent about the things that we had had done to counteract that. We took the pressure off people so they didn't have to commit. Um, and now we're really working to rebuild that culture of commitment. So we have to we have to realize that these fears and these concerns that people have, they're very real. Whether they're justified or not, it doesn't matter. They're real to them. Um, and we have to help people get past that by giving them opportunities to get past that. And the biggest thing is it takes a personal ask to get people out of that shell. Um, and that means more work for us because we can't just put a, a request in the bulletin anymore. You got to actually go out and say, hey, <laughs> We need you now. Um, and if you do that, people will respond. But it's a uh, it, it's really a challenge. And it's just going to take some time and some patience to rebuild that culture. Um, the other thing that I think is very frustrating to especially lay people that do get involved and take on a role is those little apostolates become very personal to them. And so often somebody puts their heart into something and other people say, yes, I'll help. And when they get in there, they want control. Mm. You know, they can't just go with the flow. They can't just help. They've got to have control. And, you know, if you've got somebody who's, you know, like it's something as simple as say, I want to make little uh, birthday cards and send to our, our homebound people. And then someone gets in and says, Oh, we should, we should do this for all the nursing homes, but that's too big to make these cards. So we're just going to go out, we're going to buy cards and we're just going to buy them. We'll buy mass produced cards and we'll make sure we get them all out there. And suddenly this beautiful expression of one person's love and creativity has been taken over and turned into some kind of massive uh, desire just to crank out more numbers. And that can become very discouraging for somebody to the point where they may just step back and they may never put themselves out there again. So if we want to encourage people to get involved, we have to nurture those, those gifts that people show us and offer to us. We have to find ways to nurture those gifts in people and help them take that own little personal apostle of theirs and 
and not just make it something bigger, but making something, help them make it more impactful, which doesn't always mean bigger numbers. Yeah, I've actually had that yeah. conversation in, in a couple of postlets in, in my new parish here where it's a great event. Uh, they, they put on this event once a month. And just depending on, it's a rural community. So depending on the month, it might be harvest, it might be planting season, whatever it is, the numbers really ebb and flow. Mm -hmm. And and they do get nervous about the numbers. And I've had that conversation of the people that are supposed to be here are here. This is a good work that you're doing. And you you can't let the ebb and flow of numbers Mm -hmm. be your read on the fruit that's there because it's a good work. People are coming to Jesus. They're coming for real community. They're coming to learn, uh, to grow deeper in their relationship with Christ. And so your main, your only rubric can't be, did we have more people than last month? That that can't be it. You know, there has to be a deeper discernment there of, yeah, yeah, not just the numbers in a broad sense, but the numbers in in the sense of depth. How are we cultivating deeper relationship with Jesus? And it, yeah, it, we, you do. You have to right. sometimes walk with people. And working for the church, we can take that for granted. That that just seems obvious, but it's not always obvious if you haven't been um, more deeply formed in the spiritual life. Right. I'll give you a good example of that. So one of my main ministries now is is not actually at my parish. I I've become part of a a retreat ministry group that started over in St. Cloud about 14 years ago. And right after I was ordained, I, I, one of my friends drugged me kicking and screaming to one of these retreats. Um, and what happened in that is the Holy Spirit got involved and, again. And now I've become very ingrained in this ministry. And, uh, and I kind of help coordinate and MC all these retreats. And we do, we do two or three men's retreats and one women's retreat every year, uh, mostly up at Hankinson, North Dakota, and at the Abbey of the Hills here in South Dakota. And started, it was just, you know, it was a couple dozen guys that would get together and try to grow in their faith. And now it's become much larger. Um, and, you know, we do, it, it's not your typical silent retreat. We have, It's more like a conference. We have a lot of different speakers that come in. Um, the guys that have been on this retreat before shared their experiences. We offer, we have a lot of clergy support. So we offer spiritual direction to every retreatant. Um, and then we do healing ministry and deliverance ministry on that Saturday night. So we pray over the guys and you see these amazing outpourings of the gifts of the Holy spirit. I mean, in, in a very real and tangible way. Uh, and what happens is you see the growth in these guys who come retreat after retreat after retreat it forms a family of guys that that stay connected after the retreat and they grow together and i've seen guys become better men better fathers better husbands um all because of the brotherhood and the things they learn and and the fact that they encounter jesus in a very tangible way the problem is as we started getting getting bigger um you start to worry about the numbers okay how do we promote this how do we get more people in we just last weekend did a women's retreat uh, up in North Dakota, which we had 122 women on the retreat, plus 13 guys putting it on, plus 21 priests and deacons helping with spiritual direction and prayer ministry. And that's a lot of people to move around, you know, and and God bless the sisters, the Franciscan sisters that run the retreat center. They are so gracious with us. but 
it's, it becomes very easy to look at that and go, how do we get more people? This is amazing. How do we get more people? It's like, wait a minute. I don't care how many people we have. I care about how do people become changed through this? How do we see the growth in these people that come back every time? How do we see the healing uh, that comes from this? And that's the thing that I love. We've got some parishioners that are now going to this, and I see their growth every single day. I see the healing that they've experienced every single day, rather than just once or twice a year. I get to see it every day, and I see the impact. And and I've I've told them, look, I don't I don't care if we get forty guys or one hundred and forty guys on these retreats. I, all I care is that they're there because whoever's there, they're going to be changed because they're going to encounter Jesus. And that's all that it matters. Yeah. So this is how I, I would almost say you're clairvoyant because you answered the question before I got the chance to <laughs> ask the question. Um, and the reality is that there is a, a balance that you have to do when it comes to that spiritual side of ministry um, and also the practical side, because yeah. you don't you, you're not going to continue to put on these retreats if one person shows up right now. Right as much as you'd want to, um, it probably wouldn't be feasible. But again, let's, let's reiterate, like, how do you, how would you explain to a, a young Catholic ministry professional that came to you deacon that just said, you know, I'm, I'm struggling to balance that spiritual side because I, I want a hundred kids coming every night or 200 kids, or how do I, um, fight that urge to go from 200 kids to 400 kids, right? How do I keep it spiritual to where it is, um, proving fruitful the ministry is proving fruitful so how do you how do you find that balance sure uh you know metrics are important they, they are essential in figuring out what resources you need to make the ministry happen um you've got to know how many people are coming so you know how many beds do we have how much food do we need uh, you know uh how many spiritual directors do we need in a smaller thing, how big a room do I need, you know, at the parish for this for this group? But beyond that, we can't get hung up on the metrics as a measure of success. The metrics advise how we may structure the thing, but not how successful we are on the end. Um, Deacon Ralph Poyo had a great... A great line. I don't know if you know Deacon Ralph Poyo, but he's he's a, a speaker, very dynamic speaker from Steubenville. Um, and he was out here one of the uh, on a retreat, which was what really led me to the make the decision for the diaconate. Actually, um, he was talking about intentional discipleship, and he said the problem is pastors always want to know what's the program, what's the program we're going to implement. But it's not, you can't think of it as a program. It's a mission. You know, if our mission is to form disciples and bring people to Christ, we can do that in many different ways. We don't have to be tied to a step-by-step program. And the same thing is true when you're dealing with numbers. You know, we need to know how big a room we need, so how many people are coming. But I'd rather have four people come who are completely transformed then get a hundred people there and hope that maybe four out of those hundred actually connect with what I'm saying. The true measure of success is do people meet Jesus and are they changed by that? 
And if you put on a huge event and you only touch one person, it was worth it. I, I, I kind of want to ask a question, and this isn't in our 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 list that we sent you. Uh, but earlier you you did earlier That's you fine. did mention something about that. I, I love that idea that the rubric for success is are they encountering Jesus? And and earlier you said very confidently, um, with that men's retreat, or maybe it might have been with the men's retreat or the women's retreat, but you said, um, I know they're going to encounter Jesus there. And I'm just wondering if you can unpack that a little bit, because I think that's something we all desire to have that confidence that that God is going to show up in a big way and they are going to encounter it. How do you walk that line? Like, or do you have the secret sauce? You know, <laughs> like this is going to work. But what, what's kind of you unpack that statement for me that I know they're going to encounter Jesus. At first, I was like, how am I going to answer it's, this? Because I don't one. know. There is no secret sauce. But there again, you know, I, I believe and listen to the Holy Spirit. And he just gave me the answer. There is a secret sauce. If you, in everything you do, are genuine, if everything you give is an authentic love for Jesus Christ, if you don't try to embellish it with a bunch of flowery stuff and and to show how smart you are, to show how good a Catholic you are, to show how good a program you have, if all you have to give is you and how Jesus lives in you, people are going to respond to that because they're going to know that it's real. And if we just lay it out there, who we are, who, how we love Jesus, that's Jesus being present through us to them. And the reason I'm so confident in people encountering Jesus on this retreat is track record. But track record, because the guys who put this on, the guys who lead this, who came up with this, are absolutely all in in love with the Lord, in love with our Blessed Mother. Um, you know, the Blessed Mother is the one really driving this, this mission of Ecclesia Domestica. Um, and because I know these guys are genuine in their love for Christ, I know that people are going to see that and they're going to see Christ in all these people that come in and, and help with this retreat. Amen. Thank you. So changing it up a bit, um, we've, we've touched on the retreats. We've, we've touched on all the, the rubrics and, and, or excuse me, the metrics of, you know, spiritual side and the practical side, but practically speaking, uh, you don't have to have tools to be successful in ministry. It just makes it easier. Um, what are, in your opinion, in your humble opinion, what do you think every parish needs to have in their tool belt for, for ministry in the 21st century? First, I have to say, if you ask my wife, none of my opinions are humble. <laughs> <laughs> but no, in all humility, uh, you know, I think people would automatically think that me as the tech guy would say, oh, we need to use technology and, and we have all these tech tools available. And we do. And we've used them, I think, at St. Therese to very good effect. But the most important tool, I think, in, in that you could have in your ministry tool belt is the Holy Spirit. Um, <clears throat> I think we as a Catholic Church have lost that connection with the Holy Spirit being alive and active in, in, in our lives, in our churches, in our ministry. 
Um, and it's something I see changing. I see this revival of the Holy Spirit uh, flowing into our church today. And it's amazing. Um, you know, I keep going back to this Ecclesia Domestica, but, you know, I grew up in the Pentecostal world. I saw a lot of fake gifts of the Holy Spirit along the way. I saw a lot of people babbling, saying they were praying in tongues. I saw a lot of fake faith healers and televangelists. So I, I'm, I was very jaded on the whole charismatic idea. And the first retreat I went to, these guys, the, the gifts of the Holy Spirit were manifesting and flying all over the place in an absolutely genuine way, in a way that I'd never encountered in a Catholic setting before. And it changed my life because it opened me up to allowing the Holy Spirit to flood into me and really work through me in, in, in ways that have just set my ministry on fire. And I truly believe that if we can get our parishes filled with the Holy Spirit and connected with the Holy Spirit in a way that, that people begin to live their lives with those gifts present and, and, and on fire, that it will enliven everything we do. Because ultimately that will drive us to the Eucharist and to that, you know, the, the biggest problem we have is that belief in the true presence in the Eucharist and the Holy Spirit. If you have that feeling inside, you feel him working in your life. How can you possibly deny that that is Jesus right there? Because I believe when we have the Holy Spirit in us and present, um, that, that we recognize the true miracle that's happening. Um, and you know, we, we've been talking in this diocese about the, that, that book that came out from the University of Mary, uh, Christendom to Apostolic Mission, right? That we aren't in a time of Christendom where Jesus is just a foregone conclusion, right? We're back in the time of the apostles. And, and how did the apostles evangelize? They preached the word of God, but they also worked signs and wonders and miracles and healings. And people saw that. And when you see that, there's no denying it. And, and I grew up believing the time of signs and wonders was over. That there weren't ever really miracles anymore. But once you start getting in, in touch with the Holy Spirit, you see those little miracles that happen every single day. They're not always some big grand thing. Often they're just little but there's still miracles nonetheless. And when you live in that world of miracles, you, you can't deny the presence of Jesus in your heart, in your life. And it, it, it enlivens everything you do in ministry. Um, so I think if we could get people to, to live that life in the spirit and make that a part of our parishes, then everything we do immediately, the, 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 the potential for success just increases exponentially. I, I love that. Yeah. We um we are called to live our life in the spirit, just like you said. And and I I really love that. My wife is big on that. She grew up non-denominational and she's been in churches and seen crazy miracles happen, healings happen before her eyes and all that stuff. I didn't grow up with a big um, charismatic background. And so that was something that was kind of eye-opening for me as I grew in in my own spiritual life. And, and I actually got invited to lead worship on a charismatic retreat one time. And I told the guy who was running, and I said, you know, I've never done charismatic worship before, whatever that means. And, and he said, that's okay. You're the right guy. You just come along. And, and I'll tell you, the Holy Spirit is so funny because 
like you said, you, you sometimes feel inadequate for the job. And I was 100% inadequate. I had no idea what I was doing, but we were leading, <laughs> we were doing worship and adoration one night and, and this lady kind of kicked us off. And then as I was singing, I had this just, you know, this discernment, this prompting in my heart that was like, just, just let it go. Give, give a, give a great big, oh, like, like just, ah, is what I thought it was going to be. But I was so nervous to do it that I just kind of like opened my mouth. I kind of went, ah, <laughs> but, it was, but it was, it was my yes to the spirit. And it was unbelievable that all of a sudden my little completely flubbed, oh, like run note that I was trying to do that just like threw up out of my mouth. It unlocked the spirit in that room because I said, yes. And so that this wall of right. noise just rose up from all around me. And it was like this great rushing wind noise that just erupted from everybody else from that little, little inadequate. Yes. So even to, to follow up with you say, it's just these little yeses in the moment to the spirit and what God is calling you to do. And, it, and it'll, tra it'll transform our communities. It'll transform our church and it'll be beautiful. Absolutely. Yeah. I love that you mentioned the Holy spirit as a tool, because if, if you go back and listen to the, the other uh, interviews that we have, you know, everybody talks about their prayer life, right? The, your your prayer life is directly connected to the fruits of your ministry. Yeah. So if you're not praying, you probably don't even know what the voice of the Holy Spirit sounds like, the voice of the Father sounds like. So if you're not in tune with our God, how are you supposed to know what the will of the Father is? So I love right. just what you're saying with Use the Holy Spirit as that tool. So you got to go pray. You got to be um, be about your ministry and not just doing a job. And, you know, so many people think, well, you know, I got to learn how to pray harder. I got to learn how to pray better um, before I can encounter the Holy Spirit. And that's just that's not the case. We all have the Holy Spirit within us. I mean, that that's, you know, th that's. A gift that we're given. I mean, we receive those graces at our baptism, at at, at our confirmation. Um, we have those, but do we listen? And, and that's really the key. And a lot of times, uh, people think it's well, we got to listen in prayer, and that's true. But it's also recognizing that it's not always in prayer that we hear the voice of God. Um, it, it it could be. You know, something that you like, if you're reading a, a piece of scripture and suddenly it sounds like that was written just for you. If you're sitting in church, you hear the homily and it's like, man, how does he know that's on my heart? It, it's in those moments when you're down, you're just depression is set in. You get a phone call randomly from a friend who knows exactly the words you need to hear. That's the Holy Spirit speaking through them to you. That's God reaching out to you. It's not always, you know, the voice of the cloud says, this is my beloved son. Sometimes it is. Um, I've had that experience too. But usually it's just in those promptings of the heart that we just don't know how to recognize. Um, and that only comes from, from being, like any relationship, you learn about somebody by being with them and spending time with them. Um, and it, so it does come from prayer. Uh, but it also just comes from first accepting the Holy Spirit is real and he's active in our lives if we let him. Yeah, that recognition is 
super important. So here's a good segue. Speaking of recognition, <laughs> um, where do you see ministry being done really well? Obviously, you get to be around a lot of you know brother deacons and and other priests and and, and their ministry. Where do you see ministry being done well that uh, you can kind of give them a shout out and, and brag on them a little bit? Well, I, I'd love to say Ecclesia Domestica, but that would be self-serving. Uh, but they, they are doing great, great work. We're doing great work. Um, it's it, there's so many people involved. It's just it's it's a, a movement that's on the crux of just exploding. But the one group that I really have to call out is focus. Hmm. Um, you know, I've marveled sometimes at how big they are, yet how how personal the ministry they do is. Um, I've never been to a seat conference, but I've, I've known dozens of, of young people that have gone in the last few years. And every one of them comes back just different, just on fire, just just opened up to the Lord. And I think oftentimes another metric we, we tend to, to to make a mistake of focusing on is, well, how many vocations come out of this? And I don't care how many priests we get from people that go to seek conferences, because I've seen the, how, how amazing young men and young women that come back and just are on fire for loving the Lord as, as single people, as married people, whatever that vocation may be, uh, it, their hearts are ripped open and the Lord just comes flooding in. Um, and, and that is one of the most effective uh, ministries that I've seen in changing uh, the hearts and opening the hearts of young people um, that we have in the church right now. And it's just, it's so beautiful. Yeah. You're, you're not the first person to mention focus. They, they do a great job. And I, I have been to some of the seat conferences and it is, it's powerful. I, you know, part of the, I think what really works there is, especially if you come from a smaller community or you think your church isn't that big, and then you go and you're kneeling before Jesus in the Eucharist with thousands of other people, that it, it transforms your yeah. whole experience of, oh, you know, I, I'm, I was on board with this, but now I see that it's just, it's just too big to not be real, to, to have, there's no way they could have hoodwinked right. all of us. That's Jesus. Holy cow. That's transforming. It's it's transformative. Absolutely. That's like I, I often tell people, I was like, nobody perpetrates, you know, anybody says, well, this is just, you know, a hoax. Nobody per perpetrates a hoax for 5,000 years without somebody going, yeah, this, you, you know, here's why proof that it's not real. And the same thing is true with, you know, the Eucharist, the, the true presence there. I forget what it was. Somebody said it was like 250 million Catholics in the world right now. Something like that. That, that stat could be way up. There's hundreds of millions of us around the world. Um, how can we all be deceived? We're way beyond mass hysteria here. Uh, the, the only answer is because this is real. And, and God's alive and present in our lives every single day. Amen. And you're... You're saying some real truths that people need to hear. And and I want you to share one more here. Uh, this is our next question. If you had the attention of the whole world for 90 seconds, what would you say? <laughs> uh, you know, I think the, the above all else, 
um, all the evils in the world stem from one thing. I think we've forgotten Jesus' last commandment to us. Love one another as I've loved you. Um, you know, he loved us with, with a love that was so pure, so, such a total sacrifice of self. I mean, he gave us everything. First, he gave his, his, his uh, you know, he's God, and he lowered himself to become man. And then he sacrificed that humanity on the cross for us. He gave us everything, holding nothing back. And I think, you know, that selflessly loving each other, um, it's, it's something as simple as, he's not just saying when he says, hey, love one another as I loved you. He's not just saying, go be nice to each other. You know, it's, it's hey, I gave up my life for you. Now go give up your life for each other. That may be something as big as, you know, taking a bullet to save someone. Or it could be something as even bigger as taking out the garbage during the Super Bowl because your wife just asked you to. <laughs> How dare she? You know, sacrifice. <laughs> you know, sacrifice. Uh, but, you know, we, we often think, you know, I, I'd say all injustice, all oppression, all warfare, all of that comes from selfishness. Right. And it's someone would say, well, I've never done anything evil like that. I never, you know, started a war or anything. But have you ever said something about somebody else behind their back? Have you ever been uncharitable to a co-worker? I mean, have you ever said something bad about somebody online? I mean, look at the we have this this astronomically large suicide rate amongst young people in the world right now. And so much of that is driven because of bullying and cyberbullying. And it comes from the selfish need to break other people down to try and make ourselves feel better about ourselves. But if we flip that around and think not of ourselves, but think first of others and love them selflessly, A, we're going to see a lot of those evils, those injustices fade away from our society. But B, I think you'd be surprised at how much love comes back to you and how much more uplifting that love is rather than trying to break people down and take people and use people to try and build yourself up. Well, but oh, I, I just think that that's, that may be a key message for this culture, right? That this culture is all about, tolerance it's all about acceptance it's all about those things but even deeper than that is to love the other to genuinely love them beyond their their own desires beyond the things that they want for themselves to love what's best for them what is good for them to love uh, to love them well enough to bring them with you into heaven and and i think that that is that is a message that can break down barriers and walls where we do encounter pushback or resistance to the gospel. No, that the gospel is love. And that that love is transformative. It's something that when the Romans were killing Christians, their love for one another made them go, wait, <laughs> what is this that they've got? Why are they going joyfully to their death? Why, why is St. Paul, right, converting the soldiers around him? <laughs> why is this man that we have in prison, right. why does he love me? And, and it just, it breaks down those barriers. I think that is a powerful message for our world today. Thank you for sharing that. And that's a great point. The, the, the tree of the church was watered with the blood of the martyrs, right? Uh, and 
if we do love love people selflessly like that, uh, we need to accept the fact that there's going to be a price to pay. There's going to be pain that's going to come our way. And that's true in any kind of ministry we do. Because Satan does not want us to show the light of Christ in the world. He does not want us to give that self-sacrificial love. It's the last thing he wants. So when we encounter pushback and people that try to twist our words and say, oh, that's not real love. This is what real love looks like. Um, that is Satan trying to break us down and stop us from speaking the truth. And we can't let it. it it's the result is worth the sacrifice. Amen. Amen. So Deacon Thane, who do you think we should have on the podcast next? You know, this, I, you sent me this question. I, this is a tough one. Um, you know, I, I, there's lots of big guys I think that would be great, but somebody that I think would be, would be really good with what's going on right now is Dr. Pat Castle, who's the, the founder of Life Runners. Uh, this uh, Sioux Falls boy that's, you know, gone off and uh, went into the Air Force and then founded this organization. And, you know, we're staring down the barrel of an effort to force South Dakota to enact one of the most radical abortion laws in the country. Um, and I, I don't think people really realize just how absolutely unfettered this this will make abortion in our in our state. And the mission of Life Runners is, you know, simply to save babies. They are on the front lines. Pat goes out and stands in front of some of the worst abortion facilities in this country, trying to help mothers make that right decision to choose life, the right decision for them and their babies. And, and they are truly saving lives. And they're saving souls. They're saving uh, these, these, not only the babies from being aborted, but the mothers for making a decision that is going to tear them apart for the rest of their lives. Uh, he's one of the most courageous people that I know, and his, his story is amazingly beautiful, and, and it's full of hope uh, and, and, and a great witness, um, especially as we are about preparing to fight this fight that is coming our way. Yeah, no, I, uh, I re I've run into the opposition at, while I'm trying to renew my tabs on my uh license plate and i remember the last encounter they're like hey you really need to sign this i'm like oh well and i just recently moved to sioux falls and i was like well what what is this oh we're we're helping to uh liberate women's oppression on you know uh their bodies and blah 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 i go oh so is it about abortion by chance yep free access to abortion and it was late term abortion and i said no thank you i'm catholic like <laughs> get out of my face or something bad's going to happen. See, that surprises me that they would be that open because um, one of the things with, with the people that are out there doing these petitions is they are flat out blatantly lying right. to people yep. to get healthcare. them to sign this. Yeah, it's healthcare. It's all about women's healthcare and about free access to this. And we've had people call up in tears going, I didn't know what this was and I signed it, you know? So, um, yeah, it's there's there's evil going on and they are yeah they, they're flat out lying to people uh trying to get anybody to sign it yeah i'm pretty sure to your credit yours and father odell's credit i heard at the, at mass you guys talking about it like hey be careful 
this is what they're doing uh, when they're pitched out front of the, the DMV or the treasurer's office. So yeah, to you. So, and we got to continue to do that and, and talk about it so that Absolutely. others aren't falling into that same trap. So now, I'll be honest, this is, I'm pessimistic. Um, we have a culture in this state where we love our ballot initiatives and we believe in, in taking things to a vote to the people. I don't know that we can stop this from being on the ballot. I, I'm still. I pray about it every night that that we will do that, uh, but I don't. I don't know that we're going to get there. So while we still encourage people not to sign, uh, I'm gearing up for the fight that comes next because uh, we may get a miracle and it doesn't. It doesn't get enough signatures to get on the ballot, but uh, I think we need to be ready to fight this evil head on. We can't. We can't back down for this this fight if it does come our way. Amen. Yep. No, I I totally agree. Um, Dick and Thane, thank you so much for uh, this conversation. It's been awesome. I know we don't get a chance to really conversate as much. Uh, really, it's you running around uh, pretty <laughs> frantically before mass trying to get volunteers um, yeah, yeah. to sign up or somebody didn't show up for, you know, um, uh, EMing or, or whatever. So I, I really appreciate your time. Uh, where can our listeners go to connect with you to support your ministry? Well, uh, you know, the, one of the, the main things you could do, go check out our, our uh, Facebook page or um, YouTube page for St. Therese. Uh, it's uh, St. Therese Sioux Falls. We've got a lot of great online um, options there. We've got our Little Way series that we did for so many months. Um, a lot of good resources there. Uh, if you're interested in, in resources for the rosary, I've got a website, SiouxFallsRosary.com. Uh, which has been inactive for a while. We're getting it reinvigorated now. There's a lot of devotional information there, various chaplets, things like that that you can access. And then uh, the men's ministry that I'm a part of, EcclesiaDomestica.net, um, is is uh, and also on YouTube, Ecclesia Domestica. You, you can see some of our our talks that we've had. Uh, we're in the process of rebuilding that website as well and starting to expand that online ministry. Uh, to another level as well. So um, those are some ways that you can you can get involved and access those resources. And then you can always reach out to me at uh, St. Therese uh, Catholic Church in Sioux Falls. Well, we'll definitely put some of those links in our show notes at the end of the show here. Thanks for being on the podcast. And you're very welcome. Absolutely. And thank me. you, dear listeners, for listening to the Catholic Ministry Professionals Podcast. If you want to transform your parish through your work, but you're not sure where to start, you can download our free parish health assessment at catholicministryprofessionals.com slash free assessment. It's just 36 questions. It only takes about five minutes to fill out. And afterwards, you're going to have a color-coded picture of your parish's health that you can then use to fuel better conversations, prioritize better work, and become a better leader. As always, you can email us at catholicmenpros at gmail.com to share feedback or request a free consultation. And finally, don't forget to text this episode to a priest or a friend in ministry that can benefit from it. With that, we'll see you in the vineyard. <laughs>